Welcome to the Real Uniting Church podcast with Scott and Marty. In this series, we go in search of the core identity of the Uniting Church in this its 40th year and where we might go in the years to come. Join us. G'day and welcome to the Real Uniting Church podcast. Today, a conversation that explores prayer and spirituality, what it means for us to focus on God. Uh, Marty and I are joined by Irene Alexander and Jeff Lawrence. Irene's an author. Some of her books include Practicing the Presence of Jesus and Dancing with God. She's a counsellor, spiritual director, trainer both in Australia and overseas. She's interested in the weaving together of contemplation and action. Jeff's a spiritual director, biblical storyteller, a real passion for male spirituality. One of his special interests, contemplative prayer in wilderness. We're really excited to have Irene and Jeff join us for conversation today. Let's dive right in. What are some of the spiritual practices that you have both used and put into practice that others could also take on board to change the way they respond to the world, themselves, their relationship with God? I think, oh, so in my, in my earlier life, when I said I was the whole active focus thing, we would have been involved a lot in intercession and, and kind of prayer that changed the world. Mm. I now think the prayer that changes the world the most is probably uh, centering prayer or prayer of silence, the prayer that we're, uh, and I do that every morning, first thing in the morning so that I get out of bed and do it, so it gets done. But it's sitting it's sitting in silence in God's presence and it, being very conscious of the love of God and just being present to God and saying a phrase in my in my mind as a way of getting started but then just trying to be present to God in silence and not even saying anything in my mind and then I find I'm thinking about what I'm going to do today and so then I gently come back to God I'm in your in your arms in your presence and um, I just do that for about 20 minutes every morning and find that 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 being in the presence of God in silence I believe it settles me, but there's a whole lot of neurological study now, research now that's showing the how powerful that kind of uh, practice is uh, for mental health. So as a background in counselling, we would have taught students how to deal with um, people with anxiety and depression and, and do counselling and all around that. And now they're finding that the mindfulness practices are more effective than, than counselling. Oh, whoa. I said that as Christians, we knew that centuries ago actually so how, how long does it take to learn to be still for 20 minutes I mean, all of I'm, your life wow and, I'd be lucky to go 20 years. seconds <laughs> <laughs> I, I sometimes I say it's a practice of failure yeah. so I practice failing for 20 minutes every mm-hmm. morning and then it so that shifts my whole sense of I have to get this right and I have to achieve something. It's more I'm just sitting here in God's presence. I love the little story Thomas Keating tells where he says one woman came to him and said, but Father, in the 20 minutes I, I have to come back to Jesus a hundred times. <laughs> and he said, isn't that wonderful? You come back to yeah. Jesus a hundred times. Fair and enough. I actually think that might be the whole power, not the whole power of it, part of the power of it is that our neuro, neurological pathways are being brought back, yeah. brought back, brought back, and we don't keep going down our usual script routes. We just come back into that place of silence and being with God. So is it is it just a cop-out for me to say, 
you know, three small kids, busy house in the mornings. I can't possibly do that. Yeah. Um, is it a stage it of life thing? Oh, it is a cop-out? No, fair enough. All right, I'm going to have to start getting up a little bit earlier. <laughs> Either that or, I mean, I'm a morning person, so first thing yeah, in the morning yeah. works for me. If I do it after six o'clock at night, I fall asleep. Yeah. Sitting there cross-legged, I still fall asleep. But some people... Yeah. Last thing at night is by far the best time to do it. So it's so finding the time. Find, yeah, I think there's a lot of experimenting around it, yeah. actually, to find what works for you. But there's one little bit of research that said um, that they taught a, a bunch of people to do 12 minutes of silence a day. For 10 weeks, they could measure the neurological difference. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So. All right. <laughs> I'm going to try. I am going to try. Jeff, what about for you? Any practices? I have a similar practice in terms of the Christian meditation uh, community. So, which is similar to what Irene has described. So I won't sort of repeat what she has said. But a practice that I use, and I've used since my mid-20s, I was blessed to be given a book called The Philokalia, which is called The Love of the Good. And it's an anthology of the Orthodox spiritual tradition. And in that, they talk of the prayer of the heart, of learning to think and listen and pray through the heart. So I guess what they would say very briefly is prayer is not what you think. It's not about thinking. It's more as one of the writers said, I love, therefore I am. It's about knowing who you love and being loved by that person. And for us, it's being loved by Christ. And so in the early church, when the desert mothers and fathers tried to think, what did Paul mean when he said pray without ceasing? They came up with this taking a short prayer. And the prayer that they took has evolved into what we now call the Jesus prayer, which is the prayer of the publican, the prayer of the lepers, the prayer of Bartimaeus. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, is the short form. And there are longer versions, and I use both that short version, but a longer one, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because I can synchronise both of those either with my breathing or with my walking. Mm. And so I've learnt that practice of the Jesus prayer, which differs from meditation and centering prayer slightly because whilst you're not meant to think about the words, you are meant to be attentive to them. And in the Orthodox tradition, they would say, not only is it a prayer that brings about remembrance of God and attentiveness to God, but encapsulates a full statement of our faith. Lord Jesus Christ, he is Lord Jesus and Son of God, have mercy on me. He has mercy. I need mercy. Uh, depending upon your theological position, I guess, a sinner I'm always, or as the Proverbs say, the just man falls seven times a day. So it's this wonderful profession of faith that I've learned over the while to synchronise with my breathing and to synchronise with my walking. Mm. So that even when the children were young, and I did raise five children, <laughs> just being able to... All right, all right. Aside. I've only got three. It's a cop-out. <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm feeling suitably put in my place. So that's been the practice that I've used over the while, the practice of the Jesus prayer. So you mentioned praying while walking, and you also mentioned the bushwalking Soul yes, soul. we have a what we call soul to soul, S-O-L-E to S-O-U-L. And we take, this is a men's bushwalking retreat, we spend the whole day walking in silence where we can slow down to catch up to God. Mm -hmm. Slow down to catch up to God. 
and we just help the men to spend a whole day in silence, being attentive to their walking, being attentive to their breathing, and attentive to a prayer word. And we're asked to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We often don't use our bodies so much to bring attentiveness to God. But just that act of walking, we do it every day, that act of breathing, of connecting that with a prayer word or an attitude of prayer allows us to do what Paul encourages us to pray without ceasing, which is different to saying prayers without <laughs> ceasing, but it's having this yeah. attitude or mindfulness of God. So what does or what could prayer look like? I know people who paint as a form of prayer yep. or sing or dance. Are all of these things just different expressions of prayer and our connection to God? I'd say yes, that prayer is an openness to God and both in our speaking and in our listening. Um, and so any of those, lighting a candle, listening to music, anything that we do um, is, can be prayer. It's the openness, the stance with which we're open, open to God and wanting to live in relationship with God can be prayer. It's, it's how people find God. Creation's another one. I think creation is one that a lot of people identify with, that somehow being in God's creation helped us find God and just making time to, to be conscious, to, to be attentive. And to leave your comfort zone as well and to either go to nature or right. even yeah. just leave your prayer comfort zone to try something different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How would one start doing that? It's been my experience that when you say to God, here I am, Lord, let what you've said be done to me, God says, I've been waiting for that invitation. <laughs> And God will, and God will take us um, past those those comfort zones. I guess the Christian tradition, and I guess this is where Irene and I have, have come from, has always said that our growth in the spiritual life has they suppose two preconditions. So two of the essential things are that you're part of a Christian community, mm -hmm. part of the church, and you're committed to being part of that, and you find someone who can act as a good guide, a spiritual companion, a spiritual director to, to show you. Who's not necessarily a person holier than you, mm -hmm. but just a person who has learned the ways of God. Would that be a good description, mm -hmm. Irene? And who's particularly good at, at making space to listen, to draw yeah. out, not to come with expertise, but to, to draw out from you what what God has already placed in your own heart um, and to help you to find the God who is already present in your life to just slow you down enough to listen. The other Norder, the actor that we know, made this comment about listening. He said, to listen is to allow yourself to be changed by the other. And so when we come into that place of listening to God is to put ourselves into that position where we allow ourselves to be changed by God. Mm. I guess when we know that scripture without a vision the people perish but oddly in our Christian life and our spiritual life we haven't tended to focus a lot on what is the vision to which we're called to <laughs> that spiritual vision that God has called us to and Peter comes close to it says that we would become partakers of the divine nature mm. 
and John says in his epistle that we would become as he is. So that's the, the, the spiritual goal, and hence he keeps saying, you know, die to yourself. And I always wondered why he kept saying die to yourself, and there's a finished poem that goes, uh, in death we can no longer see ourselves, and therefore we can now see God. And in a sense that's the goal to which he calls us, and therefore we set ourselves saying, here I am. So whatever practice that you can find, <laughs> that puts you vulnerable and defenceless before God uh, is a good practice <laughs> with a guide. So, so just to help, to help me, let's stick with that, that spiritual guide or mentor. Or What does it look like? I mean, I, this is new to me. Is this a one-on-one -on -one kind of a relationship, you know, where we have an appointment once a week or once a month? or you know, what, what does it actually look like? Yeah. So, so once a month we usually do, although we might start a little bit closer together at the beginning just to check. So if you came to see me, I'd probably say, let's do it a couple of times only fortnightly just to check if we both feel that we're, there's a fit. Because you're, going to, you're opening your heart. It's the most sacred thing. You're opening your heart about God and your relationship with God. You have to feel safe. You have to feel that that person's right for you. And then after that... Um, usually once a month unless someone's going through a really hard time yeah, yeah. and wants to come more closely. And the reason it's that far apart is because your relationship with your God is is really what the focus is. Okay. And if you come more often, as we do in counselling, it becomes more this relationship yes, between, between us becomes okay. the focus. Yeah. And it's really about what's happening between you and God. And then you come back a month later and I make no assumptions. I don't say, so did you do what we did talked about homework? last time? No, don't ask any of that <laughs> no. because it's what the, the real question is what's happened between you and God. Yeah. What, what do you want to look at now about your relationship with God? So is it a, is it a teaching people practices? Is not, it a not necessarily, not really, set not some usually. Goals for their no, own not, disciplines? Or is it's it... really just saying, so what's happened between you and God? Okay. And, um, and then the spiritual director may sometimes suggest perhaps you could try praying like this. Yeah. Um, again, they don't check up on that. Yeah. Um, so they, they're they really one spiritual director I had. So I've had spiritual direction now for um, about 17 years, I guess. Okay. And it's a luxury I wouldn't want yeah. to go without. I mean, yeah. to talk yeah. to someone for an hour. Yeah. They listen to me for an hour every month. It's just wonderful yeah. and, and nurtures my relationship with God. And there are some things I come up against and I think, oh, I need to take that spiritual direction. I don't know if I can tussle that through by myself. So, so And then the spiritual director just makes it a safe place to what's happening between you and God. Who is God for you mm -hmm. at the moment? Is, is this something that is different to the kind of relationship that can develop between a minister and a person in a congregation? I mean, is this not what ministers would normally do in the course of a relationship well, with people? It could be, yeah. but just as not every minister is a preacher, yeah, not okay. every minister is a pastor, and not every minister is a teacher. So it's a particular so also, gift. not every minister is someone who can work as a spiritual guide okay. who can respond to that question, teach me to pray. So yes, it is a specific ministry. Mm. It's a particular approach. Yeah. And so it's not they're looking to solve a problem mm. or to give you advice or to give you direction, but I sometimes express it together in the company of the Holy Spirit is the true spiritual director just to see what are the directions mm -hmm. 
in your life? Mm. What are those spiritual directions? I want to use that scriptural term. We're, we're called the new Israel, the people who wrestle with God. So when you're wrestling with God in that spiritual struggle of dying and rising, yep. the spiritual director is there as someone who can help you see the ways of God mm. and help you see the ways God is directing you and the ways that God is leading and just to be that companion by your side. The word director is, is actually a bit misleading yes. because it sounds like you're going to come to me and I'm going to yeah, tell yeah. you what to do. And some people t prefer the term spiritual companion, which is yeah. probably a better mm. term, except that we use the term direction because we want people to know there's a tradition that goes right back to like the Desert Fathers yes. and others. And, uh, this so we is, haven't just come up with this in no, 2017. No. That's right. It's been around for a very long time. The yeah. Catholics seem to know about the Anglicans and maybe sure. the Orthodox. The um, but the evangelicals have kind of didn't know it was there and now they're discovering it. It's a wonderful new discovery. So spiritual companion kind of expresses it better, mm. but we keep the term direction because we want people to know, hey, this is part of our thousands, two thousand year old tradition. Mm. It's this journeying with and, and I agree with Jeff saying with the Holy Spirit is the true director. We're just we just come alongside to listen to the Holy Spirit. Some of the things that I've heard both of you say, particularly around the deep listening and connection to nature, remind me of things that I've heard about Aboriginal spirituality and the way that our Indigenous you know, church people practice their spirituality. Are there practices within Aboriginal spirituality or Aboriginal Christianity that, that also link in with what we're talking about? I really don't know the tradition that well, although part of my journey of late is to learn to identify as being Indigenous. But our Christian tradition has always upheld that God is there in creation for all to see in our Psalms, in Romans, that we only have to look and we can catch a glimpse. So no, I can't comment on the Indigenous tradition I suppose what marks the Christian tradition is that whereas we see God in creation, creation isn't God. Tom Hopko, who's a Russian Orthodox priest, theologian and spiritual writer, says that the most important thing about prayer is not what you pray or where or how or when, but to whom do you pray? How do we use our Bible, our scriptures to help in this space of you know, kind of diving more deeply into relationship or contemplation. So Lectio Divina is, it simply means holy listening or holy reading and that also has been around for centuries and centuries and is the way that we listen to the scripture or read the scripture. I think coming from an evangelical tradition I've learned to be very analytical and to and to learn some of that taking it to part and and yeah. and I love I happen to because my gifting to love go back and find cross referencing and what about all yeah, the Greek yeah. words that and so okay. on and so on, so but that can be a very head thing yeah. and in our churches we we often have the Bible up the front as this is the focus of our worship, and I think that that there needs to be then the the balance of what about the heart what about the whole person mm. and. So how do I read the scripture with my heart? Mm. And so the Lectio is a, is a re-reading. You read it several times and you 
you just listen the first time just to kind of get what it is and then you you go deeper and meditate and think about it respond with your heart go to a, a place of of more than responsiveness to god out of my heart and then a place of just resting and what god's saying to me so it might be read several times um one of the things that when I do that in class or in a group, I add in the um, also the Ignatian imagination composition of place, it's called, and that's what my little, one of my little books is about. And that's the idea of truly entering the story, imagining I'm the person, so imagining I'm the woman at the well. What's it like to be the woman at the well coming up and here's this man here and what's he going to say to her? She can guess what he's going to say. She's heard it a million times before. And what does that feel like? And really, and what Ignatius says to really ground it is your five senses. What do you see, hear, smell, taste, touch? And notice each of those as the woman at the well. And I always add feel because I think emotionally yeah. feel is yes. one of the most important ones. And so it, it and then what, what I do when I do it in a group and of course you can do it alone, is that each person then says, as the woman, I heard the tenderness in Jesus' voice. I'm not used to hearing that tenderness. Mm -hmm. And then someone else might say, um, as the woman, I saw this man looking at me, but he was looking at me in a way that men don't usually look at me, and I saw something in his eye, and so on. And people get in touch with it in a mm -hmm. whole different way than, than in their heads. And it's delightful. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful way to read the scriptures too to meet the Jesus of the scriptures in, a, in an experiential way. So sometimes I feel like saying, but I've met him. I know yeah. what he's like because in my, in my what I call active imagination, what we call that, or believing imagination, I believe the Holy Spirit truly mm. enlightens that and we do meet Jesus in our imagination and in reality. So I think so, that's it. I mean, I'm really interested in that practice that you've described because as that's a, sounds like a very corporate collective kind of an exercise mm, you know, and it can with be. a small group yeah, or, you yeah. know, where some of the other practices we've talked about have been very much about me and God mm -hmm. or you know that, that kind of individual but th there's an example of a collective practice mm -hmm. of you know really encountering God in, in yeah. a, a fresh way yes mm. yeah and any of the practices can be done individually mm -hmm. or together like yeah. centering prayer mm -hmm. some people much prefer to do it in a group yeah, I right. actually find personally I find that a bit distracting I much yeah. prefer to do it by myself but yeah. people are different and and some people find it really helps mm -hmm. three of us are committed to doing this on a Wednesday morning at seven o'clock anyone yeah. can join us but we're going to do it yeah. and that really helps some people to kind of get started mm -hmm. whereas they wouldn't do it by themselves after all they've got kids and, yes. and the rest of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <I'm trouble. laughs> You're listening to the Real Uniting Church podcast. Today we are exploring being Christ centered at prayer and listening. And we're here with Irene Alexander and Jeff Lawrence. Stay tuned to the very end for a special experience. Jeff, what about for you? Where's the place of scripture in this conversation? I guess it's informed by the work I've been led into over the last 20 years of working as an oral biblical storyteller. And through that practice, it's gone past what does this text mean, which really just satisfies the intellect. And it's worth remembering the first thing we did wrong in the garden was we said, I want to know, rather than have this intimate relationship with God. But so often we read the text silently to study it for its meaning. 
But through the discipline of biblical storytelling, and I also practiced Lexia Divina as Irene said, so I would echo all that she had said on that. But the stories we have were oral stories. And we tend to read them silently for the meaning. But when you start reading them out loud, and then reading them out loud to tell them, then you find all sorts of nuances and meanings and ideas come. So, for example, if I'm learning to... So Christmas is coming up, I'll tell Luke chapter 1 and 2 again. The first thing I'll do will be to say to the Holy Spirit, who we're told Jesus that he'll remind you. So I'll say, Lord God, Holy Spirit, remind me of the story. <laughs> and then I'll start learning to tell the story out loud. And when you start telling it out loud, you have to ask, I wonder how they said these words. And then when you experiment with those words and put the actions to it, all sorts of meanings come. And it's not about putting life into the, the scriptures or putting meaning, but it's allowing that life to come out. So in the Christian tradition, in many traditions, they have what they call the, uh, the prayer of Simeon as evening prayer. At last, all-powerful master, you give leave to your servant to go in peace, which is the words of Simeon when Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to be presented. But if you put your arms around as though you're about to cradle a baby as he reached out to Mary, and you've been told that you will not die until you set eyes on the Christ of the Lord, and you've got this motion of cradling the baby, and you're looking at it, it's at last, at last. Mm. And so I now remember that scripture in my body. Mm. So I would encourage people and I, to learn to not read the scriptures out loud, but to proclaim them and tell them mm. and experiment with the words and how they are said. I am with you always. I am with you always. I am with you always. And just to allow those words and meaning to come out. It, it saddens me and I guess annoys me a bit to hear some of the perfunctory reading of scriptures we have in our churches from all traditions, from Catholic, Anglican, Uniting, Pentecostal, Church of Christ, wherever. Uh, and we don't allow that word to enter into our heart and take root. So I would encourage people to take the scriptures, read them with the book on a lectern or somewhere so it's now hands-free, and read them out loud as though you were telling someone, just as Peter, Jesus, James, John told them, and allow that word to enter your heart and tell them from the heart. So, so when you get into telling a story in that fashion, how important is it that you you know, that you get the script word for word, you know, that, that you're actually using the very exact precise words of scripture or, you know, is there a little bit of a, you know, as long as I get the main kind of message across in my own words. Well, there's a group called the Network of Biblical Storytellers that I'm a part of and we operate on the basis of having, say, 95% content accuracy okay. and about 80% word accuracy. Yeah. But sometimes you might rearrange those words. For example, it's fine that it said, Jesus, let's go. Yeah. You might rearrange that to uh, so it flows better yeah. but no you're not looking at changing the meaning no, no. and then there'll be other times so recently I told a story in the character of Zacchaeus yeah. and so I would ask 
ask, I wonder how Zacchaeus would tell his story if he was here. So in answer to your question, I would encourage people to have the scriptures say, Lord God, Holy Spirit, remind me of this story and allow this story to become fleshed in my heart. And then learn to start telling it out loud. Now, you may not do it publicly like I do, sure. but you can certainly do it as part as your personal reading. And doing it as part of Alexia Divina uh, is a wonderful experience. We've talked about some, I guess, some kind of corporate practices there. I'm, you know, I'm really interested in where would either for either of you, where would you start if you were, you know, working with a congregation that was saying we want to deepen our collective spirituality or, or reinvigorate our collective approach to prayer? I mean, what, you know, what are what are some starting places for that conversation for a, for a local church? Um, so one that I suggested was uh, was what if. Two or three people said, yep. "Well, we're going to we're going to try centering prayer, and we'll do yep. that seven o'clock on Wednesday morning, and just yep. commit themselves to doing that for a period of time, maybe just six weeks or something to start with." Yep. But but um, that may well then become an ongoing an ongoing pattern. There are plenty of people that do that that kind of thing, just having a group, and that's what they do. They they may start with a, a scripture reading and then go into silence for twenty minutes. And then whether they then talk about it or they just that's that's all they do, they can do that. I I think it'd be great to experiment with some of these kinds of things in in church on Sunday. Mm. And I know that, that again the ministers do that, different people do that, try experimenting with those kinds of things. Another one that's a really simple one um, is the examine, which is simply the idea that at the end of the day you look back over the day and you say, Where was God for me in this day? or where was the life? for me in this day. It might only take five minutes. It just can be a very short one. But as that becomes a practice, it, it actually shifts the way people are present to God during the day because we're reminded at the end of each day that, that we're going to think about that and so we notice that more. So, yeah. so, so it's an individual practice but in a shared rhythm. It could be either, yeah, again, or, either way. It could be done yeah. just totally individually. There's one I mentioned, 365 Gratitude, I think is the name of the website. 365 Grateful. Grateful, Grateful, thank you, uh, which is a, a young woman who I know who decided because she was a photographer, she decided to take a photograph every day of something she was thankful for. Mm. And so 365 days, of, and that again can be a life-changing, mm. simple thing as yeah. what am I grateful for today that I can take a photograph of or write down or just say to God. So it's, it's the, the question, that, the examined question is, is really what was life giving today or where was God for me today so that I become more conscious of God's presence. And uh, Ignatius, who taught it, he actually did it more and more often. So every three hours, let's stop and pause where we've been in the last three hours yeah. and, and so that it makes people live more consciously in God's presence. So there's almost a trajectory there toward praying without ceasing. Yeah. 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 In that sense. Maybe every five minutes, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it, it is sometimes. When, when I worked in an insurance company, so I'm an insurance clerk, and I used to put a seed on my keyboard. And that seed reminded me of the seed of life, you know, sowing seed. For me, that reminded me uh, it was a Christian symbol. So I just needed to have a look at that, or I'd have it in my pocket. Mm. And I could just take a hold of that, and it would just bring yeah. me back to being in the presence of just a little. I've heard other people speak about having a pebble in their pocket. Yes, that sort of. Yeah, I often do. Something do that's same. a reminder. I like what John says in his first epistle, and this scripture has been with me since 
when he says something that has existed since the beginning, that we've seen, that we've heard, that we've watched, that we've touched. The word of life, this is our story, this is our message, that life was made visible to us, and we're telling you of that life to make our own joy complete. So in a local church, we could just come together to tell one another, this is what I've seen, what I've heard, what I've touched of God today and this week. And we don't have to do it in a way that we get the meaning right, the theology right, the doctrine right, or the scripture right, but just simply to say to people, this morning I was out uh, walking the dog and I saw a mum and her daughter just in an embrace. And I saw God's embrace of me in that. I saw God's embrace of. I saw a man crying and reminded me how God cries over what's happened to creation. Or, you know what, I was there and I walked through the supermarket and I was tempted to do something wrong and I remembered God and I didn't. Yeah. And it's just sharing good news. <laughs> the good news isn't just what was written down 2,000 years ago. And just to keep doing those things, as Irene said, that if we can just do this examine, which is not just, like, I got this wrong, but wow, look, I got this right, or look where God was, and just keep reminding us. Yeah. So much of what we've talked about this afternoon seems to me to have a couple of elements. One being just get started. Yes. Um, another being quite intentional or deliberate. Or, you know, yeah. I am going to deliberately set aside 20 minutes each morning for sale, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. But so it's getting started somewhere, being intentional. And, and you've used words like noticing and mindful and, you know, observing and this... I mean, which are really attitude words, aren't they? You know, as we go through the day of, yeah. you know, having our eyes open to what's going yes. on around mm. us. Is it, I mean, am I hearing yeah. those things mm. yeah, directly sure. from you? It reminds me, can I just tell you one more yeah, thought? Yeah, totally. Some people might know the, the book called um, Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence, which was written in 1666. So he was a monk who worked in the kitchen and he would rather have been out in the garden, I think, but uh, anyway, he determined to find God in the simple practices of peeling the potatoes and washing the dishes. And he says, we have such sweet conversation together. Sometimes when the chapel bell goes, I, it's an interruption to my time with God. <laughs> and, and then he says this lovely thing. He says, it, takes about ten, it took me about 10 years to learn how to do wow. this. So That's a lot of potatoes. He, he obviously, <laughs> as he said, just started with a very simple thing. Yeah. But the intentionality... Hmm. Um, that draws drew him on to mm. into God's presence continuously. So that little book, Practicing the Presence of God, and the Cloud of Unknowing, that's another one that goes back to the yep. 1300s, um, is about centering prayer, the, the listening, the, the prayer of silence. So they've, they've gone back a long way, and way back before that. Those are just the books we have. We have this idea that somehow or other we keep doing this and, and we'll achieve it. But neither of us can make ourselves holy. That's God's work. Mm. All we can do is try. And the poet T.S. Eliot said, for us there is only the trying, the rest is not our business. Mm. And many of the spiritual writers will say that the longing is in fact the uh, sort of being present. It's, it's being on the path. As soon as you turn to God and say, Lord, here I am. I want. And even if it's, Lord, 
I want to be, I don't think I even want to be holy, but I want to want to. <laughs> yep. Uh, is enough. Yeah. And if we have that longing, God has and God uh, comes to meet us. But it is that, and part of the tools we use for that is that we try and let go of these spiritual disciplines are about letting go of those things that hold us back. If we want to receive with both hands what God has got to give us, then we've got to let go of some of the other things we're holding on to. Um, and that's why we practice these spiritual disciplines, not to punish the body, <laughs> but to let the mind and the soul be free. So it is just doing those simple things day in and day out. And it's God's business how holy I get. <laughs> For me, it's just being faithful. So normally at this point in the podcast, we'd say goodbye, we'd play the music, you would know it's finished. But today, a special experience. We want to invite you into some silent meditative prayer. Uh, you're going to hear Jeff introduce a little prayer exercise, uh, and that'll gradually uh, develop into a period of silence. We want to invite you to join us in silent prayer. Uh, if you're driving your car, you might not want to close your eyes during this. Uh, but as we conclude our time, as we thank once again Jeff and Irene, uh, let us invite you to join us in prayer. The practice we use in centering prayer will be the same. Sit with your back up straight, your legs flat on the ground. Try not to have any part of your body crossed. Head up straight and relaxed. Eyes gently closed. Just be mindful of sitting. Just be mindful of our breathing as we breathe in and breathe out. And then we can take a prayer word. Lord Jesus Christ, as we breathe in, have mercy on me as we breathe out. And in the practice of the Jesus prayer, to see that breath as it goes right down into our lungs and into our belly and taking that prayer right down into our heart. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And then after you've said that out loud for a while to get into the rhythm, just drift into silence. <laughs>